0: Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. The episodes of this podcast deal with murder, dismemberment, torture, rape, child abuse, and mental illness. Please turn back while you still can. Listener discretion advised. When Ronald Clark O'Brien found himself in massive debt, he weighed all of his options before coming up with a plan to ease his financial burden. He took out insurance policies on his own children gave them each a piece of poisoned Halloween candy, and claimed that the candy had come from a stranger while trick-or-treating, ruining the holiday for generations of kids to come. This is Monsters. Come back and find out that he's deceased. Tapping me on the head, telling me I'm cheating, telling me I'm... You know, let me see your phone. I just kill her she died. I think Diego Campione... Totally in the wrong, and I hope he burns in hell for all his sins. Hell's not a very fun place. I only have two hands. I'm, I'm on that hand girl. I'm two Just get escalated, escalated. <laughs> the fear that children will be poisoned by tainted candy is not a new phenomenon. As early as the late 1700s, when a child fell ill, doctors would blame it on contaminated candy. This was caused by the Industrial Revolution changing candy from a sweet treat that was made in a local shop that people were familiar with, to a production factory located anywhere in the world. The candy was being made by strangers with unknown ingredients on machines that people were unfamiliar with. Candy became an easy scapegoat for sick or dying children. In the 1780s, the US Bureau of Chemistry began testing hundreds of different types of candy and found no evidence that the sweets contained poisons. This caused the myth to subside for a while, but it came back in the 1960s when our social structure started to change. When neighborhoods started to integrate racially, distrust caused rumors that people were going to distribute poisoned candy during the holidays and at events. The focus of the poisoned candy panic turned toward Halloween after the New York Times published an article in 1970 that warned parents that their children's Halloween goodies may have razor blades, needles, lye, or sleeping pills hidden in them. A University of Delaware study found less than 90 cases that could qualify as candy tampering between the years of 1958 and 1983. Upon further investigation. They found that not a single incident was attributed to a random attempt to harm children. The cases turned out to be parents' attempts at monetary gain or children's attempts at gaining attention. Despite the claims of poisoned Halloween candy having been proven to be false, the media continues to promote the idea that there are nefarious people all over your neighborhood who want to harm or kill random kids. There have been a number of stories of children dying or becoming ill at Halloween time that have been misattributed to poisoned Halloween candy, but one in particular stands out as having had great influence on the perpetuation of the myth. Ronald Clark O'Brien wanted people to believe that he was a good person. He was an optician at Texas State Optical and a deacon at his church. He was married to Daneen and had two children, 8-year-old Timothy and 5-year-old Elizabeth. O'Brien was hiding the fact that he was over $100,000 in debt. He was in default on several loans and was about to have his car repossessed. He had had 21 jobs over the course of 10 years and was about to be fired by his current employer for suspected theft. Finally, the bank had foreclosed on his house. In January of 1974, O'Brien had taken out $10,000 life insurance policies on each of his two children. One month before Halloween, he took out additional $20,000 policies on each child. He had developed a plan to get $60,000 and dig himself out of debt, and all it would cost him was his two children. Before Halloween, O'Brien purchased five large pixie sticks and cut the tops off of them. He poured out some of the powdery candy inside and refilled the tube with cyanide. Then, he folded the top over and stapled it closed. On October 31, 1974, O'Brien and his neighbor, Jim Bates, went trick-or-treating with the two O'Brien kids and Bates's two children, Mark and Kimberly. Since it was raining, they only trick-or-treated on two streets, but it was enough for O'Brien to be able to sneak the tainted candy into the goodie bags of five children. One of the homes they went to had no answer at the door. As Jim and the children walked to the next house, O'Brien stayed back, and when he caught up with the rest of the group, he had five oversized pixie sticks in his hand. He claimed that the resident was home, and that they gave him pixie sticks for each of them. He gave one stick to each of the children with them, and gave the remaining stick to a neighborhood kid. Once they were home, the children were allowed to pick out one piece of candy to have before they went to bed. Timothy chose the giant pixie stick, which O'Brien helped him open. The Pixie Stick is a paper straw filled with flavored powder that you dump into your mouth. They are usually smaller, like a thin pencil, but they make an oversized version that is much bigger. It's about a foot long. The straws are normally crimped on each end, but these ones had one end that had been cut, then folded back over and stapled closed. After dumping the candy in his mouth, Timothy complained that it was too bitter, so his father gave him some Kool-Aid to wash it down. The boy immediately began vomiting violently. O'Brien claimed that Timothy started convulsing, and eventually went limp. He was rushed to the hospital, but was dead by the time he had arrived. The police asked locals to turn in all of their candy so it could be examined. They scoured the community and were able to quickly retrieve the other four pixie sticks. One was with O'Brien's daughter, two were with Mark and Kimberly Bates, and the last one was found in the hands of Whitney Parker. The young boy had attempted to eat the candy, but wasn't able to get the stapled end open. After receiving the notice from police, his panicked parents found him asleep upstairs. He had fallen asleep with the unopened package still in his hand. Once authorities were sure that they had retrieved all of the tainted candy, they tested the contents. The lab reported that there was about two inches of cyanide packed into the top of the paper straw. It was enough to kill two to three adults. This is why Timothy had started vomiting so violently, so quickly. The dose was literally overkill. O'Brien played the grieving father. At first, he claimed that he couldn't remember which house gave him the pixie sticks, but police canvassed the area and found that nobody in his neighborhood had given out pixie sticks on Halloween. O'Brien finally pointed out the house that had not answered the night that they were trick-or-treating, and told police that that is where he received the candy. The man who lived in that house was an air traffic controller named Courtney Melvin. Police discovered that Melvin had worked until 11 p.m. on the night of Halloween and had more than 200 witnesses that could place him at work that evening. By this point, Ronald Clark O'Brien had become their number one suspect. They had discovered his multiple debts, his alleged theft from his employer, and most damning, the insurance policies he had taken out on his children. Insurance policies that his wife, Danine, Knew nothing about. The investigation would go on to uncover more evidence against O'Brien. The insurance company reported that O'Brien had called at 9 a.m. on November 1st, just hours after his son had died, and asked about collecting on his son's policies. Police searched the O'Brien home and found a pocket knife with pixie stick powder on it, suggesting that he used it to cut open the candy packages. One of the customers from Texas State Optical, who was a chemical salesman, testified at the trial that O'Brien had asked him a lot of questions about poison and where to buy it. They also learned that he had visited a chemical supply store shortly before Halloween that year. He was told that he would have to purchase a minimum of 5 pounds of cyanide, so he left without making a purchase. It's not clear where he ended up acquiring the poison that he used. Police had all of the evidence they needed to point to Ronald Clark O'Brien. It was clear that he was attempting to kill both of his children in order to collect insurance money. He was also willing to potentially kill three other children as a means of covering up his crime. On November 5th, 1974, O'Brien was arrested and charged with one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Bill Lanier, the detective on the case, said in an interview that he believed that O'Brien was on the verge of confessing to the crime. During the interrogation, the man had slumped in his chair and started nodding his head in agreement with the detective. Lanier gave him one last push and said, quote, Ron, it's time to tell me, end quote. O'Brien responded, quote, tell you what, end quote. That was when Lanier knew that the moment was gone. O'Brien's lawyer used the widely accepted myth that strangers were out there poisoning candy and putting razor blades in apples as his defense. It was that monster who had struck so many times before that had taken the life of young Timothy. Except, it hadn't happened so many times before. There were no documented cases of a stranger poisoning Halloween candy. There still isn't. On July 3, 1975... Ronald Clark O'Brien was found guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. He was sentenced to death. Shortly after his conviction, Danine divorced him and remarried four years later. Her new husband adopted Elizabeth. On March 31, 1984, Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed by lethal injection. He was 39 years old. In his final statement, O'Brien maintained his innocence. He later claimed that he would forgive all that were involved in his death. Ironically, he would never deserve forgiveness for murdering his own son. Thank you for listening to Monsters. For more stories of the worst people on the planet, you can visit our blog at thisismonsters.com.